yes, that was awesome. Oh, man, well, it's a pleasure to be here. My name is Pastor John, and my wife, Tamla, I think she ran off in the crowd somewhere, but we're looking, we're looking forward to getting to know you as family and to getting to know each and every one of you individually. I just really want to let you guys know how grateful that we are that we are able to join you guys and be part of the Journey family. But I also, like uh, the elders did just a minute ago, I want to really acknowledge uh, the leadership and the elders that have really uh, held us together as a family prior to us coming here. Uh, and yes, uh, Nick and Mark and all the others, Dennis, you are not going to be forgotten. Actually, I'm hoping to use you even more, so get, get ready uh, for that as well. Um, you guys have made us feel so welcome here. It is just crazy. It's like uh, we don't even know each other, but we know each other. And I already feel that, and Tamla feels that. And some of you know, and we've had a little bit of a rough journey the last couple um, weeks and months with mom, and it's just been a challenge. But so many of you guys have written little notes, uh, cards, and kindness, and just really, uh, it's just so good to be part of something like that. So I'm excited to see what God's going to do with us all. I really am. That's the excitement part about it. It's not that, you know, we get to meet together so much on Sundays. That's exciting. Yes, that's exciting. But at the same time, I can't wait to see what, once Sunday is over, what happens to us when we go out and when we interact with the world that is around us. So that part I am excited for to see what he will do. Uh, throughout this selection process, it was interesting. It was like I was here, it's like two months ago was when I first met you guys, and it's been a little bit. But throughout that whole process, I just kept listening and uh, what the um, elders and the committee was really looking for and what they wanted. And it was real interesting. They would um, ask me questions. I would ask them questions. And each of us would go through this scenario of what we wanted. But it was really good to hear that we both came to the same place. We just wanted what God wanted. And that was how we prayed, and that was how I believe that we ended up where we are today. So out of that... Um, we're going to do a series together, just a few weeks of want what God wants. Want what God wants. And that's not so easily defined all the time. Um, it's going to be a little tricky, but then there's a couple of things that are so pronounced what God wants. Uh, it's so obvious, but at the same time, uh, are we wanting the same thing? So, let's pray and we'll dive into what God wants. Let's pray. Lord, we're here today to worship you. We began uh, our worship, Lord, this morning when we got up, we prayed, we looked to you for all things. We look forward to meeting your people together. We've, we pray that as we represent you uh, in this world that we are exactly doing what you want. Lord, I pray you guide my words today that I'm really just repeating 
uh, what we see in the, wor- in the scriptures. I pray, Lord, that your spirit speaks uh, even in the, the many words. So, Lord, be with us today. Thank you for this opportunity to share in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's make one thing clear as we talk about what God wants. God does not need anything. Think about that for a second. What could you do or what could you give God that he doesn't already have? God is self-existent. He he needs nothing to exist. He is. He's the great I am. He actually created you and me, so how could the creation ever begin to give the creator anything he doesn't already have? However, uh, if we were asked the question, what does God want, we'd probably come up with a list. And I'm sure each of our lists would be a little different, you know, But our list would probably be something along, well, he wants me to be a better person. We all probably could agree if we made a list, that was probably God wants me to be a better person. He might want us to, uh, the world to be a better place. I know I would like that. I'm sure God does too. Uh, He would like us to love our neighbor. Uh, Maybe our list would include things like he wants us to work harder or he wants us to read his word more or pray more, but the list could go on and on of the, li- of the things that we think that God wants. But none of these are like wrong answers or anything, because I'm sure that God wants these. But is there one thing or maybe a few things that God wants more than any other thing? Um, when I was a, a young man, my brother and I, we used to we used to have to haul old car parts around for my dad. My dad is a, was an old car enthusiast, so every single weekend, it seemed like in the summer, my brother and I, as slave labor, would load up all these car parts into a U-Haul or some type of a trailer the night before we'd get up in the morning and head off to somewhere to a swap meet somewhere, unload all these parts and get them in a display area, in all these things, and then all day long, my dad would make an attempt at selling his old junk, you know, his old car parts. But what was frustrating for my brother and I was that we would unload all this stuff, and it seemed like we were loading up all the same things right back in the truck at the end of the day. And so we would talk to dad about this. Say, well, how come this stuff's not selling? You need to lower the price. Well, my dad, if he, if he, if maybe this is the way you are, if you're an old antiquer or a car parts kind of person, you put a pretty high value on your stuff. So my dad would never sell anything if he didn't think, you know, for less than what he thought it was worth. So he had a value uh, on it, and he'd always have this, saying, if they want it bad enough, they'll pay the price for it. And I thought, wow, that's a great intro, Dad. My dad's been passed since 17, and he's, uh, since 2017, but he's still speaking to me today. And he actually gave me a great intro for today. Uh, is there anything that God wanted that he was willing to pay the ultimate price for? And he does. He wants something 
and I'm looking at a bunch of them. He wants you. He wants me. He wants us all. Remember, we're talking about a self-existing God who needs nothing to get by. Like you and I have needs, right? We have to have certain things, so there's certain things we want. But that's to survive and et cetera, et cetera. But God doesn't need anything, but yet he wants you. And he wants me. In fact, the, the most, one of the most famous verses that, you, um, that people talk about is John 3.16. 3, and it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In that, we see that God sent his son Jesus. He wanted us so bad that he sent Jesus to die. He gave him up. He just didn't give him, in a sense, as a gift or a relationship thing, like, you know, gave him for a month, and then next thing you know, he takes him back. He gave Jesus up. He gave his life up for you and for me. For the payment of sin, of course, uh, all of us are sinners and come short of the glory of God, but you and me, being sinners, God would wa wanted a bunch of sinners. That is, to me, is crazy to think about. I know this is not maybe anything new to you today, but I just really wanted you to think about how badly God wants you. Um, in a letter that uh, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, he encouraged him to pray. Pray for all kinds of people. And in that, he says this. He says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So we can see that the Bible reveals to us that God's desire is that all men uh, to be saved. He wants all men to be saved, all men, all women, all children to be saved. Saved from what? Isn't it interesting that in this day and age, if you have a serious conversation with uh, a person about maybe the things of God or spiritual things, and you maybe ask them the question, and maybe here today you get asked this question and wondering what we're all talking about. It said, are you saved? We say that. Are you saved? Saved from what, you may ask? And it is quite interesting um, some of the answers you get especially of those that are, have more of a concern about the things of this world. And what I mean by that is if the things of this world are your concern, then especially here in America, things are going pretty good. You don't need to be saved from anything in reality. You know, things are pretty, going pretty good. I got a job. Uh, things are good there. Um, you, you know, my family's doing pretty good. You know, I don't feel any national threat. Uh, honest, we saved. Uh, I don't need to be saved from anything. So it's a problem, uh, in a sense, of God getting his message to you and I in, in using the language of saved. But this is what God wants. He wants us all to be saved. Um, the reason we respond this way most of the time is uh, because of physical harm. Uh, we think that first thing we think about is, you know, being saved, like maybe a person drowning, someone 
grabbing them out of the, the depths of the water or something like that and bringing them to shore. That's what we would think of as being saved. But salvation that the Bible speak, speaks of is our great need spiritually. So all of us here have a need spiritually to be saved. Um, God created us, I don't know why he did this, but he created us with this thing we call free will. It's, it's I guess if I was God, I probably wouldn't have set it up that way. Uh, just saying, you know, if you're going to create uh, human beings, you would want, you know, just kind of make it so they don't have this free will, so they can't wander and they can't go other places and be far from me. But we know that God is love and, you know, how could we really truly love uh, God if we didn't have the will to choose him. We know that now, right? But God has done this. He's given us this free will to either obey him or to disobey him. And so man, we know this, Adam and Eve in the garden, walking with God. Genesis tells us this. And they were given a choice to eat from the, the tree or not. And, of course, we know how the story goes, don't we? They disobeyed God and chose to eat from the tree. Well, this choosing to eat was in opposition to what God asked them to do. So what this does is this launches all of mankind into what we call sin. Disobedience. That's really all sin is, is when our will and God's will don't line up. So if you ever wonder, and if you're sinning, do a review of your week this week and say, has my will lined up 100% with God's will this week, or have I been uh, disobedient? And all of us will come to the conclusion that at one time this week, we've probably been disobedient. We've sinned against a holy God. Why does God want us to be saved? Well, it's the best thing for us. Um, when man exercised his free will and chose to be disobedient, um, they sinned, of course, but fortunately, God is love, and he loves us so much that he wants us back. Romans 5.8 says this, God demonstrated how much he loves us in other words, he demonstrates our love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love was demonstrated that day that Christ died. In other words, I like the amplified versions of this, uh, of, of demonstrated. It actually says clearly proved. And that's really the topic today. Wanting what God wants. He wants us all to be saved. But how bad does God want us to be saved? Well, he wants us to be saved so badly that he demonstrated it or proved it by giving up his only son. And that's what we call being saved. Uh, if we're going to be a church, let's just look at us here at the Journey Church, our local church. If we're going to be a church that wants what God wants, then the first thing we need to do is love, let love compel us. That's what God did. He loved us so much that that's what drove him to make a way for you and me to be saved. 
The Apostle Paul uh, understood how much God wanted to be saved, or how much God wanted us to be saved, uh, when he said this. Now, before he said, let's give you a little context here. Everybody at this point in time, Paul is going around giving the good news that you could be saved. And in that, people were thinking he was a little bit thinking he's a little bit wacky. And what we find out is this is really a, a rebuttal back to that. Even though they were thinking that he's nuts for going around saying they need to be saved, he says this, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge this, if one died for all, then all died. Paul and the others were compelled to act a certain way, to go out into the community, go out across this, the, the waters, to go in distant lands. They were compelled by something to share the good news of God with others. So, was this because they loved Christ? Or was this compelling come from Christ loving them? It's a good question, isn't it? When you think about it, um, I think this is where some of the shift has been in church culture, culture is really, not that it's wrong to come and love Christ, because that's what we do, right? We love him. But the idea of worship is because he has loved us first. First John tells us that. We only love him because he first loved us. And we, when that really uh, takes hold, that's where you and I uh, begin to make things happen in our head and our hearts. Paul explains a little bit more in detail what he means by if one died for all, then all died. In Romans 5, verse 15, he says, but the free gift is not like the offense, for it is the one, um, by the one man's offense many died. And he's speaking about Adam right here. Uh, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, Everybody down the chain now is affected by that. He says, much more the grace of God and the gift of God, um, the gift, excuse me, God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Notice the many here, it's used twice in this, um, this verse, um, is not necessarily the same many. The first many differs a little bit from the second many. The first many is that we've all been affected by sin. Every man, woman, and child ever born has been affected by what Adam and Eve did by bringing sin or disobedience into the world. Us coming from our descendants of Adam and Eve, we now are, live sinful lives or are in sin. But by the other man, being Jesus Christ, we see that grace abounds to many. Uh, however, while God's mercy is on us all, right, uh, only those who put their faith and trust in him will be the second many. And that's the second many, is all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus will, of course, be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Saved from disobedience. Saved from that penalty. So can I ask us a question here as a church today? Are we a church 
compelled. Are we so taken by what God has done for us that we are driven outside of these church walls to go share the love of God with another person? Maybe a person that we love, maybe a person that we don't even know. Are we even willing to do it to where people like Paul think us we're a little bit crazy? Walking around asking, are you saved? If nothing else, that gets the conversation going, right? Uh, maybe 40 years ago, people would maybe in regular, every secular culture would probably maybe know a little bit about what it means to be saved. Oh, you're one of those churchy guys, I know what you're talking about. But I think we've almost lost that now. And so are we willing, are we compelled enough to go out by the love of God that he had for us to go share that with another person, another family? Does God's love compel us? Even if we're no longer included or invited to family gatherings, are we willing to risk that? Are we willing to take the mocking of our friends? Are we willing to maybe even lose a few friendships um, to share uh, the love of God with people we love and we care about? We can give ourselves a little test to see how we're doing by asking this question. You ready for the test? When was the last time I was compelled to share the love of God with someone? Ask yourself that. When was the last time? Kind of a little test. Be honest, I don't know about you guys, but my prayer for this church is to be that we are so compelled that we go outside of these church walls, don't let any of these things that are so easily distract us from going out and sharing the love of God that we'll be so compelled by God's love that we'll do it no matter what the cost. The second thing that needs to be true of us if we want what God wants it all to be saved, of course that's what we're talking about here today, is that we must live for him. After Paul reveals the motive of his ministry, which was compelling, uh, to others, he continues on, 2 Corinthians 5, again, it says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Something spectacular happens to a person um, when the realization of God's great love makes it from here down to here. There's something crazy that goes on in your life. All of a sudden, a lot of things just don't matter anymore. There are so many things that what I wanted just don't seem to matter, and our focus shifts over to learning and knowing about what God wants of us. Isn't it Maybe that happened to you in your life. I don't know. That was a radical thing for me. I came to know the Lord a little bit later in life. I didn't do the eight-year-old conversion thing. I was too rebellious for that, apparently. But later in life, when I come, this rocked my world. I couldn't believe the stuff that I was thinking about now. I didn't care about certain things and 
certain jobs and a way to get ahead and all those. Not that those things are bad in and of themselves, but if that's all we think about after we come to know Christ, there's something a little bit off still. There's something still a little skewed because Paul says here that we should no longer live for ourselves, that we should live for him who died and rose again for us. Have, has um, anyone struggled with this, living for the Lord? Yeah, you're, you're not all saying nothing now, are you? <laughs> of course. This is a struggle. Um, a lot of reasons there's a struggle here, but we'll just focus on the one. We'll focus on us this morning. That's a struggle because we want what we want. And we very, you know, don't take the time sometimes to think through and to study and to know what God wants of us. Paul's saying that the sacrificial death that Christ suffered on our behalf should have a major impact on how we live each and every day. Um, so another question, are you living for him? That's my prayer. Do you fight with wanting what you want each and every day versus what God wants? Of course you do. Because, like we explained earlier, we are really descendants of Adam. We have a sin nature. The Bible teaches us that. That this is going to be a forever struggle for us. So you, if you think that it's like... Uh, oh man, I just had a bad week or a bad day I'm wanting what I want. It could be true, but get used to it. This is going to be a constant struggle. Doesn't mean that it doesn't get better and the struggle gets a little easier and easier as we go along as Christians, but here's the deal. It's a struggle until we are uh, made perfect or we are made like Jesus one day. Um, today we're reminded that God wants all of us to be saved. And when I say all of us, not just us in this room, and I'm going to preach that a little bit over the next few weeks, is the idea is that this is just Sunday, guys. <laughs> this is, we got six more days. We got, we got work to do for the Lord. And so he wants us all to be saved. Well, does this bother you? Is, is this something you want? Does it bother you that there are people you, that may not know God um, and they don't know about his great love? Well, it certainly bothered Jesus. When he walked the earth, and Matthew 9 records this, he says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus, no doubt, had compassion when he looked out over the crowds. He saw them as sheep with no shepherd, no one to guide them, no one to point them in the right direction. Um, notice he talks to really 
two different people groups there that day. First, the lost, he says, they are plentiful, that they're weary and hungry. And we know that's for spiritual things, not just physical things. They are spiritually lost, and Jesus could see that. And he, he'd look out across the multitudes, and he would see that they were spiritually hungry, spiritually lost. Do you ever get in big crowds and do this? I know I do. Uh, I'm not saying I'm like Jesus, but it, I, I look out there and I see, oh man, how many people here today, I wonder, really know him. And then it says that, you know, we're to pray. I've kind of taken from these verses that sometimes I'll just sit there and I'll just pray, Lord, okay, who do you want me to talk to? And you go, I don't know any of these people. Sometimes they're large crowds, you know. But just the effort of praying and God, knowing that he has compassion on we should have compassion. God, give me that compassion to go talk to somebody about you today. But then there's a second group of people that the, he says are the saved people. He says the laborers are few. And I used to kind of take this as a, um, like Jesus going, all right, guys, let's get at this thing. You know, kind of like, oh, man, we're not doing our job. And I've recently revisited this and kind of looked at it this way. He's saying there's a lot more of them than there are you. And that's the truth, isn't it? Wide is the gate, right? Narrow is the path. But God looks out and says, man, there's a lot of unsaved people here and he has compassion on them and that's what we need to have and then we need to pray and then we need to understand that yeah there's a lot less of us out there the laborers are few and that in order to cover the territory we got to get busy we got to labor together uh, and I pray that that's what we are going to do as a church the great danger for us that have been rescued is to carry on with our lives uh, pursuing only our desires, uh, living only for ourselves. What that produces, unfortunately, is like an apathy, like we don't care. It's the opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus cared. He had compassion. He wanted this. He wanted all to be saved. But you and I, we get kind of busy about stuff. And next thing you know, we don't even care anymore. We look out amongst crowds. We look over people. We go to family gatherings, we go to work, and we don't see them. So the question is, are we living for only for ourselves? Do we have compassion on the lost? Do we see them? That's the biggest challenge question for me. Do I see them? Am I honestly and earnestly looking for them? If we're going to be a church that wants all to be saved, then we need to live for him. And the third thing I just want us to understand today is that we must understand our role uh, as rescued people. Let's read what um, Paul says here in a minute about, about us, but he calls us ambassadors. I like that title. In fact, I, I looked it up, uh, what the Webster's Dictionary said, and it calls an ambassador a diplomatic agent of the highest rank, I like that part, accredited to a foreign government as the resident representative of his or her own government. 
appointed for a special and often temporary diplomatic assignment. So guys, we are ambassadors, each and every one. If you're here today and you've been saved, you've been rescued from the penalty of your sin, we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors of the king. Think about that for a second. The king of king, the lord of lords. We, we are given a job. We're given a commission. The Webster's uh, Dictionary says there, um, ab about this whole thing, says that we are ambassadors to a, often to a foreign country. Ever feel like you're living in a foreign country some days? Yeah, we're all Americans, right? Or most of us, maybe. We're all Americans here today, but yet it feels like we're living in a foreign country. It's because we are. We're living in his kingdom, and his kingdom is not of this world. As ambassadors, we're diplomats of the highest rank. I like thinking about that. Not that we're better than anybody, but that, you know, we've been given this high responsibility to be ambassadors. And we're to represent the kingdom and to deliver a message. And let's listen about what this message is. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to the word of committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, here's our job. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on, behalf, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. As ambassadors, our assignment is to carry, not just carry, but to deliver the message of reconciliation. You know, if you know what reconciliation, if you've ever been unreconciled with a, a family, friend, or another relationship you may have, you know that it takes a person one person in that unreconciled union to take the first step. Who took the first step in us being unreconciled with God? God took that first step. He wanted to be reconciled so badly with you and with me that he took that first step. He sent his son to die in our place so that we could be reconciled back. That, to me, is pretty darn amazing when you think about we've been separated from God by our sin, by our disobedience, but he has made a way. He wants to be reconciled with you and me so badly that he was willing to send his only son in our place so that we could be reconciled back to God. Um, so do we understand this idea of being an ambassador? Do you think about being an ambassador? Maybe this is the first time you've read this today, and maybe being an ambassador is new to you. 
But the scriptures tell us that we are carrying the greatest message of all. And I, I thought through this this week, how dare us not speak the message? How dare us when we know that there are people out there that have no idea that God loves them in this way? How dare us not do our roles as ambassadors and share the love of Christ with them? Kind of like we should be fired for not doing our job. Today we've been reminded that God wants all to be saved and strangely, he has left it up to the church. That, still, that boggles my mind. You know, it's like, really God, you could have done it a little differently. Angels would have been a much better way to go here. No, you're going to give people that are sinners to tell the world that they're sinners and that they need to be saved. But when you think about it, what better way to do it? God is so wise. Is that once you and I have experienced the saving power of God and we've been reconciled with God, it's almost too much for the human brain to even, in the human heart, to kind of grasp. But with this in mind, we now have a message. We now can say what has happened to us. That we no longer live for ourselves but we live for him and we're compelled by that great love but we must remember that being an ambassador is going to put us in a few uncomfortable situations but at the same time when you think of Jesus being on the cross that wasn't so comfortable that day either but yet his great love reached out to us so is this what we want? So I'm going to ask the band to kind of come up, and we're, going to, we're not over yet. The band, just because the band's coming, we're not done. <laughs> but I want to ask us some questions here today. Is this really what we want as a church? Do we want all to be saved? It's a good challenge question is our first day, isn't it? Is this really what we want? Um, from time to time, I'll ask people what they want uh, from church. And they'll give me these kind of answers like, it's a nice place to meet, that's what I would like to have. You know, I'd like nice carpet, comfortable chairs. Sorry about the plastic chairs, guys. <laughs> great music, you know. We, we would like great music from church. That's what we would like. Um, and even I, the style that I like, I would like that too. I'd like a good kids program, you know, the, lots of rooms for our kids to go. We'd like lots of Bible studies with plenty of topics to choose from. Oh, we'd like a sweet website. That's the things are trending that way too, you know. Church has got to have the website. We have one, that's, but... You know, we want to make sure that we got one of those and with an events tab so everybody knows what's going on. And a nice coffee bar with an espresso machine. That's my personal favorite. <laughs> the list could go on and on, right? It's what we want from a church. 
But what about what God wants? Actually, if I'm honest, I want many of those things too. I want a great band. I, I, I want people that love the Lord to sing to him. And, and we have that. We have a nice building. We have a good kids program. We have coffee. But is that really what God is so concerned about? You know, probably not. Uh, he didn't. He didn't give his son for an espresso machine, did he? <laughs> he gave his son for you and me. So, God's people can get off track. So what's the fix? How do we, how do we get back on track? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to remember. We're going to take communion together. And that's really, and I'll explain this in a minute, but that's really what communion's all about. It's about remembering his great sacrifice. Um, our goal is to remember what it took to reconcile us back to God. So as the band plays, if you're a child of God, we have communion here uh, set up on the tables to your right. Um, I'm going to ask you to kind of come up as they play and grab the elements and return back to your seat. And I'll explain communion and some uh, things and then we'll take together. But if you've not yet received Christ, if you've not received the reconciliation of God through the great gift that he has, here's what I'm going to warn you about because this is what the Bible warns you about. It says that you would be taken in an unworthy manner. In other words, you would not be discerning or recognizing of the Lord's broken body. It would mean nothing to you. If you're not saved and you haven't received that, well then, Christ was just a guy that died one day and something that's kind of stuck up in your head, you kind of know that. But what I'm going to ask you today is that knowledge ready to make its way down to your heart. So you can do that today. You can receive God's reconciliation. And you may say, how do I do this? We only need to do what every other Christian throughout history has done. Pretty simple. You can do it right where you are if you want. Just humble yourself before a God that loves you. Admit that you have sinned and separated yourself from him. Then ask him to forgive you of your sin. Sounds almost too easy, doesn't it, guys? But that's what he wanted. He wants you back. He wants you so bad that his son did all the work to get you back. All you have to do is receive it. Ask him to forgive you. And then... Turn from your sin. I like the word repent. It's kind of an old KJV word. But the word repent means to really just go the opposite direction. It means to do a 180 and go the other way. It tells us to walk away from our sin and walk towards Jesus. So while the band's playing and people are grabbing their elements... If you want to do that, you can do that. Just speak to him. Just talk to him. That's all what prayer is. Remember that. You're just talking to God, and he'll speak to you. And if you ask him to do so, 
he will save you. In fact, 1 John 1, 9 says that we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. And if you've done this, then I invite you also to take the elements with the rest. So as the band plays, go take your elements, go back to your seat, and then we'll take communion uh, together.
reconcile you and me back to Christ back to God and it was the, the broken body and the shed blood of his only son Paul says 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23 he says for I received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You think the Lord knew what it, that we would need to remember? Because we forget. It's kind of the gist of today's message is that we get off track and we forget about the lost, we need to remember just what it took to redeem us. And so, as we take the bread, we thank him. We thank him for what he has done and what it took. Lord, thank you for your broken body. I don't think we'll ever get it, Lord. I don't think we'll ever really fully understand what it took to redeem us. But we're just thankful that you did it. And so as we take today, Lord, we give thanks. Thank you, Jesus. You can take. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying this, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, and here we go again, in remembrance of me. So we drink the cup as a symbol, only a symbol of his shed blood. Again, the cost that it took to save you and me. Hebrews 9.22 reminds us it's, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. Jesus needed to shed his blood. Somebody's blood had to be shed and it can only be the sinless one and he was willing to do that. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your shed blood. We couldn't have done it, Lord. We couldn't have shed our blood. It would have not done the, the full, it just wouldn't have done everything it needed to do, our sinful blood, but your sinless blood did. So Lord, we're, we're thankful. We give you all the honor and all the glory today as we remember just what that was. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we close today, our Lord never instructs us. Actually, I, I, I missed the name of the lady asked me today about how often we take communion, but 
He never instructs us how often we should take communion together. All he says to us is that as often as you do, do this in remembrance of me. And so we did that today. But he does say this in verse 26. He says, for often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word proclaim means to announce. So by taking part in communion today, that's exactly what we've done. We've announced the Lord's death and what it meant to the entire world until he comes. So we've, um, each of us have wants. We learned that today. But as soon as we step into God's kingdom, if we do it right, our wants should become his wants. So as we go out in the world today, I pray that you have the same compassion that the Lord does when you look amongst people and want so badly for them to be saved. Remember, we can't save a soul. We just carry the message. So as you leave today, go carry that message. Thank you. It's uh, been a great pleasure being here today. Nick's going to come up and kind of finish off with an announcement or two. But uh, go out and proclaim the Lord's death as we leave, okay? What a great day in the Lord's house, eh? What an awesome time to start and worshiping God together. A commission of what we're to do as his church and participating in communion together. So it's so great to be here today. I just want to take some time to thank, again, anyone that's new to Journey Church or fairly new, and just to remind you to take some time to get the, your uh, gift from our cafe, stop and say hey, fill out the visitor card if um, you have a second to do that. And it's just so we can send a letter to you thanking you for being here with us this morning. And then also, as a reminder for those that are regular attenders here, to continue to give in your tithes and offerings, whether that's here in person in the box that's right outside the door, or through our online giving as well. So we really appreciate you being here this morning. And then, of course, right after service, we're going to be uh, celebrating our uh, Pastor John and Tamala together as a church family with our lunch together. And so... Uh, it's set up in a buffet-type line so we can help ourselves as long as they're ready. I'm trying to look to see if Marsha's right there to see. But uh, I think they are. So as you do that, then I think we'll probably set up a couple more tables. But before we do that, let's pray together, bless the meal together in our day that we've had here today. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your church. I thank you that through times in, lives, or times in our lives that we, we do struggle and we do have, have things that we have to work through in life, that we're reminded of the love that you have for us. I thank you for your church and for sending Pastor John and Tamala here to help guide and lead us to be people for you. And as prayed today as we continue the celebration of that, that you will fill our hearts and our words and our minds with glory to you, that we get to know each other better, we get to know Pastor John and Tamala better as well as we eat together. I just thank you for this food, 
and for those that have prepared and put it together and organized so that we can enjoy this time together. I just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.